Welcome to another episode of Consider This. My name is Justin, and I'm one of the ministers here at Sunnybrook Christian Church, and I have with me in the studio today Jim Johnson, another minister at Sunnybrook, and Ryan Vincent, who is also a minister at Sunnybrook, and we are going to be talking about the story of God. Hope you enjoy. Ryan, Jim, think back into the memory bank. Got it. How old were you when you first read the Bible cover to cover? 19. Maybe 20. 26. Is that right? Yeah, 26. 25-ish. Okay. Do you remember any of those, like, epiphanies you had as you first read through it or observations that surprised you during that first complete reading? Or maybe stories that shocked you <laughs> that you hadn't read before. No, because I, when when you're saying like reading it through systematically, I mean, I may not have read every word in Obadiah before, but I had already read, I think, most of the books, and especially the New Testament. Yeah. Um, I, I think the. I don't even know if this is where you're going, but uh, I, I was shocked at how much I enjoyed reading long sections of scripture without totally understanding how it works, believing that kind of getting a quick overview of stuff would be beneficial. Mm. And so I think that was one of the biggest surprises was I think I'd always thought I had to slow down and understand every word and every paragraph like I would read another book. Mm. And then realizing, no, when you're in Jeremiah, you can move at a quicker pace, or at least I felt like I could Mm. um, when I was reading it devotionally. So I think it was the speed uh, and the kind of the general overview that I found to be really beneficial. And I was ordained in 1994, and that's when I committed to reading the Bible every year, mm-hmm. like systematically, a little section every day. And I did that for, I think, almost like 10 years. Wow. And it really helped me during that time to kind of get an overview. So I think that would be the biggest surprise, not not any one story per se, mm-hmm. but um, I think all the surprise stories had already been uh, kind of spook revealed, mm-hmm. right? You know, just kind of, oh, have you seen this or yeah. did you know that? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what Bible college is for. So, yep. yep. Now, mine would have been very different because I read it kind of in that first year of really following Jesus. And to that point, my, my only experience with the Bible would have been like children's Sunday school classes. Um, and then like junior high and high school youth group, which if you knew me in junior high and high school, I was not there to pay attention. So, huh. uh-huh. so anyway, like when I sit down, like right from the jump and read it through, there were two stories that I remember. This is different than what I saw in the coloring books was Samson reading that story in the judges. In reality. Yeah. yeah. It was, there was just a lot more to it than strong guy pushes over building. Right. And then the David and Goliath story had always just been told as like this little guy who throws a rock and it's awesome, you know, mm-hmm. underdog story, which Malcolm Gladwell still thinks it is. Um, <laughs> but when you read that in the story of like Israel conquering its enemies and taking the land, that one just really surprised me to read it in its with the things before and after it. Yep. I have a distinct memory coming into Jim's office one day and being like, you're telling me there was a necromancer that (laughs) raised a ghost from the (laughs) dead and just like, you're going to walk me through this. I distinctly remember that moment sitting in your office and you, yeah, 
when people yeah. ask me, do you believe in ghosts? I always say at least one. At least one. <laughs> See, what's, you know, I had a father that really, well, I think he's still alive. So I have a father, but back when I was a kid, I had a father, anyway, um, that loved those stories. And so whether it was somebody dying for touching the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant when it comes back in or raising uh, Samuel back from the dead, like those are the stories I always knew and kind of lived a lot of my, my life in those weird stories of the yeah. Old Testament. So That's cool. All right. Uh, one of my favorite assignments in my first semester of Bible college um, came in and they said, you know, give me a summary of the Bible. What do you think the Bible is? And two to three pages. Then the next week, okay, throw that away. Do it in one page. Okay, throw that away. Do it in a paragraph. Then the last one was do it in a sentence. So if you had to say, what is the Bible in one sentence, what would you say? God making known his creative and redemptive work for his glory. A little bit from... The sermon yeah. last Sunday yeah. that really yeah. kind of so I think those are the two big so God revealing Himself yeah His creative nature His redemptive nature for His glory for His own glory yeah that's good more or less the same I would say God undoing what was undone in the garden through Israel's Messiah <laughs> that's good uh, my sentence was uh, the story of God making everything right through Jesus. Yeah. So it was a more simplified, yep. maybe, you know, youthish version yep. um, of that. And something I've used for a long time is actually one of the more helpful assignments mm-hmm. that I did, just, you know, having to distill that down. Um, so let's expand it just a little bit. What is the story of God? You're in an elevator. Somebody looks at you carrying a Bible. So what's that story? What's the story of God in a few sentences? So expand upon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think the biggest thing is that um, in, instead of us just believing that there is a God and kind of looking at it in its generic sense, uh, which a lot of people throughout time have wondered and thought about and postulated on, but that the God of the universe is the God revealed in the scriptures. So I think you have to tie that in. If you don't, mm. then you're just kind of left. So yeah. revelation in itself is is quintessential for understanding what we're dealing with here. So the specificity of God, yeah. which kind of pulls us out of this generic understanding of God. So I would say it, it has to, in a sense, kind of begin there, mm-hmm. is that God is not an idea as much as it is this real being um, that has chosen out of his kindness to make himself known. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could keep going, but yeah. Ryan? Yeah, a lot of times in classes when I'm describing the difference between general revelation and special revelation, I always say that general revelation, biblically, and I understand the complexity of that qualifier, general revelation from the created order, we can discern that there is a transcendent being of some sort, and that's about it. But special revelation, and if, you, if I were holding the, a Bible in the, in the elevator, I would say this book tells me who God is, it tells me who I am, it tells me what's wrong with me, and it tells me what he's doing to fix that. That's the, I always say, I can't find out any of those things from 
just looking at the mountains in Colorado. Mm-hmm. But I can find out who he is, who I am, what's wrong with me, and and what he's doing to fix it from this book. Yeah. So revelation and reality, two, two of the key elements for understanding what this book is. It's the revelation of God making himself known to us. There are certain things about who he is and his plan that we could not know, would not know without him telling us. And then the reality of it's not just that he's real and exists, but that there there is no reality truly outside of that as much as you mm-hmm. might want to ignore or choose a different lens through which to see that this is the ultimate reality and this book helps us see that well and you know kind of tied to that is the concept of uh prerogative and ownership that god truly is not bound by this so he's not answering to anybody and you see this constantly throughout scripture because he's the one that created it so when we talk about his creative uh the creative dimension of god then you need to understand that we're not just saying he is creative. We're literally saying that he is the creator. Mm-hmm. So it's his design. It's his prerogative to interact. Um, so there is something there that is very underlining that's needed. That's good. And that's Revelation 4. It's kind of one of the reasons why I love that. It's basically he's the one who made all things, so he's worthy of our worship. And if if you miss that, then in the end, it's more of a an engagement on your terms instead of an engagement on his. And the story of the Bible is God's engagement with his creation by his prerogative, which is why grace is so amazing. Yeah. So I think some a lot of that, it's like you can only get that from actually reading the Bible and, and, and putting it into practice and thinking through the logistics of that theologically. Let's get into a little bit of the, the specifics, like, if if you were to just tell somebody the story, you know, if you were to give somebody a a, a small version of the story that from beginning to end, how would you tell that story? The 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 short version of that. How short? Um, or, I, I saw you. Talk- you I, yeah, I've heard yeah. you. I heard you give in almost a couple sentences, and I've heard you give a you know two minute answer, and you could do an hour and a half, right? Yeah. So yeah. give us like your two minute version. Yeah, it would begin with what I just stated, um, the, the the revelation of God and the prerogative of God. Uh, and then I think it's important, what Ryan added to my statement, is the you, you have to end, at some point get to the specificity of Jesus Christ being the, um, the, the greatest expression of God in the world, uh, the engagement of God with humanity by incarnation. And, and again, that's his prerogative, and that's what he accomplished. So we're not just arguing that in the sense that isn't that a neat twist or isn't that like an endearing idea? It's like, no, that was reality. He, he didn't ask us about that. That's something God chose to do. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would definitely, as we're talking about the redemptive elements of God, that it has to be in the God-man Jesus. So I would, I would really want to go there. And then to tie it up, I think it's important that we see – the unified. That's why it's the story of God, not the many stories about us interacting with God. It's the story of God. Um, so there has to be a consistency. I think that's huge yeah. that Jesus always says, it's it's not like you guys have always gotten it wrong. Actually, no, you always knew and you failed to, uh, to, to rise to the standard that the Bible, you know, that the Word of God calls us to. Um, but in reality, it's one story, and so I'm here to fulfill 
that which has already been stated. So yeah. the unity aspect, I think, is huge. It's it's why we called it the Story of God series, because it's helpful to see the main character of this book as being God. Yeah. You know, er- everyone else is a sub-character, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's an important thing. And then, just like you said, the unity of Scripture, that it actually does all come together. It's not just a jumbled mess. Even though it was written by 40 different people over 1,500 years in lots of different places, it's a unified message that leads to something, right? I, you know, I'm fascinated by uh, the Avenger series okay. or, or whatever. I mean, a- any kind of superhero type of problem. It's fascinating how they're trying to overcome a problem, and we generally believe in most of our man-made narratives that if we come together, if we work really, really hard, then somehow we will overcome and we will win, mm. right? And so that is the constant theme. It's like, you know, they, you have to have this really, really strong antagonist. And sometimes the protagonist by themselves are not capable to overcome the evil or the strength of the antagonist. But if enough good protagonists, that somehow in the end, like good will overcome. And that's not the story of the Bible at all. It's like there is no way to have victory outside of a force, you know, and I hate, I don't want to, yeah. When I say a force, I don't mean God is a force, but a power that is beyond ourselves. Like there is no ability to overcome. We can't fix our problem by coming together. We can't fix our problem by doubling down and working harder and being better. Like there is no redemption internally. It has to come from the outside. And it is so incredibly gracious. So I I think that's huge. And so, like I said, I, I watch every... Not every, but I watch all these movies and I just see them, whether it's little dwarves and elves and hobbits trying to figure out what the dilemma is, right? But in the end, it's like, you know, they they just, if we just do this, we can, whether it's Star Wars or the Avengers series, it it really is a false idea. Yeah, because it's almost like there's hints of of this reality that we see in the Bible in it, you know, that there is good versus evil, Evil. that there are, there is a sense in which God made us to be in relationship with each other in for whatever purpose and goal and but it's almost like what's the end the means and the ends that you're reaching toward and the reality that they're living in they're living in a reality that is human centric well and that what i love about the story of god is you know you you can't have a figure that is godlike even when we pretend they are in the avenger series um like luke skywalker is not so powerful that he can just with a thought configure all of the universe according to his pleasure, right? And that's not the Avengers. So even the so-called gods of the Avengers are far more mythological by nature. They're still, you know, reduced to people who are responding in this world. You can't have a god-god figure without him just um, having complete supreme control. And so the Bible gives us the picture of redemption and restoration that is just fundamentally different than any other narrative that you actually have. And I would say it's the biggest distinguisher between even the world religions, Mm -hmm. right? The God of the Bible is a fundamentally different being Mm. than any kind of uh, principle or idealized morality. Ryan, what are the three most important books in the Bible? (laughs) Um, Genesis, John, and Revelation. I was going to say Genesis, choose a gospel in Revelation, and I'm not surprised you chose John. <laughs> well, John's gospel and John's revelation go really well together for yeah. a lot of reasons. 
But if I were to tell, I was thinking, and with Genesis, <laughs> I'm just saying John's the bridge between Genesis and Revelation. Um, if I were to roll into Elevate, so our elementary Sunday morning service, and Debbie, Justin's lovely wife here, asked me to tell the story of the Bible in 20 minutes. I think I would do it with five names and two pe- groups of people. I think I would talk about Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus, and Israel and the church. And I think I could talk about how God is yeah. working through all of these. You know, Adam is the mm-hmm. representative human. Mm-hmm. Abraham represents the blessing. Moses represents God speaking and interacting with his people. And then David is God ruling through his people. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus takes all of that and perfects it yeah. in the church yeah. is the fulfillment of Israel. Well, the New Testament describes Jesus as an Adam, as a Moses, as a David. So you you kind of have yeah. that. Would yeah. you pick John? Yeah, I think I would now. Um, <laughs> maybe John or maybe Matthew. Yeah, I like Matthew. Because Matthew kind of holds on to Matthew's, that idea. He pulls more Old Testament threads than anybody else. Yeah, but it's almost like Matthew really makes sense if you have Exodus you know what I mean? And yeah. some of the exile yeah. and... The answer is five books. And oh. it's Genesis, Psalms, John, Ephesians, and Revelation. Mm. Those are the good. five. Those are the five. Because I think Ephesians is the best summary of all of yeah. Paul's well, writings. One through three, it, it gets you everything. Yeah, and, and, and one through three. And then I like the application. And then the Psalms do a great job retelling attitudinally and in a worship context the story of the old testament yeah Yeah, so if i had to pick one book that kind of covers from cover to cover uh, i have fallen in love with how how I i believe the book of psalms helps with that name three people that other humans would be surprised are not important for knowing the story of the bible so popular to just the casual bible understander but really not important. For Joseph is not as big of a deal as people think he is. I mean, he gets a lot of airtime in what I think is one of the most important books. Huh. I think I liked the Joseph recommendation. Huh. Noah's not that important to the whole narrative. Peter likes to play some games with him, but overall... He's doesn't he doesn't add much. You know, it's I'm playing around in my head on this one, but <laughs> I, I really think that each of the apostles mm. would say I'm not important, and not just kind of in a weird self-deprecating way, but I think they see themselves as so much retelling the story of Christ or embodying the story of Christ. Like you can't read Paul's ready, uh, writings and not think he's pretty. He's pretty comfortable with himself, and he understands his limits. Mm-hmm. So I think we would go, yeah, Paul is quintessential. And Paul in many ways would say, no, 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 I'm just retelling what mm-hmm. – and I'm just doing what the other apostles are doing. I just happen to write it down. So yeah. I think God chooses to use particularly the apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then I think, you know, again, any one of the apostles in and of themselves – uh, I, th- I think are not as important as we make right. them out to be. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, because it's almost like they're just representative of yeah. us. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep. They're capital A apostles, and then we become lowercase a yeah. apostles. Yeah. They're disciples, capital D. Yeah. We become lower. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. they're really another one. And our or any dispensationalists out there might nail me to the wall for this. I don't think Daniel's that important to the whole story, hmm. but. 
And I, I, th- I think of like the the stereotypical like hero figures of the Bible that we that you know that Veggie Tales will encapsulate in our memories and song, right? Daniel, Noah. Um, you know, I don't. I'm not even sure how much the David and Goliath story. I mean, I get that it's purging the little land of the Canaanites, but David's role in the story is far more about his kingship, which comes quite a while after that. Sure. Well, I'm sure we'll get some emails about your thoughts on that. We'd love to hear hear back from you guys. So, yeah, I mean, I think. But can I tell you, I really do think there's a value of prioritizing. So, you know, what we're not saying is that Paul doesn't have a place or Daniel doesn't have a place. But to not prioritize, I think you can get into a little bit of trouble because then you don't know how to differentiate. And so, yeah, the words of Christ trump anything Paul says, mm-hmm. and. You know, so you need to under, but they're not in competition with one another. Right. But there's still a priority right. of the two things, and so I think that's a that's a healthy way to appreciate God as the the epicenter of all of this and everything coming from Him and for Him. Yep. So on Sunday, Jim, you preached as we started this new series we're doing on the story of God here at Sunnybrook, and you talked about the dangers of principalizing or moralizing these Bible stories or these Bible characters that we've grown up learning about, and some of us maybe more than others, like you mentioned. Explain more of what you mean uh, about the limits of this way of reading the scriptures and applying them to our lives. Yeah, well... You know, first of all, I'm so grateful in my own life and in the lives of, uh, say, even the young people at Sunnybrook, um, for those who, without knowing, they didn't have a Bible college education, they're not trained ministers of the gospel, but they're mostly women, but they're, and also a number of men that really do love the Lord, and they are very kind and gracious to me, and they give of their time, and they teach me Bible stories. And I'm grateful for every single one of those, even though they may not have done the perfect job of teaching them. Um, And so nobody intended this, but collectively, I think I lived a majority of my life just trying to be those people, trying to imagine myself facing my giant, trying to imagine myself, um, will I be thrown into the fiery furnace? Will Will I have the kind of faith that could call down fire from heaven? And then just never measuring up in a sense, right? Because I just... I'm not seeing the kind of miraculous things happening, and I'm kind of putting this big weight on me. And so um, I understand that each of those stories has a moral or a principle. Um, If we don't, again, prioritize it right, if we don't see God as the primary principle or the primary moral of the story, then in the end you kind of miss the point. And one of my classic examples that I always love to teach about is the story of Joseph. And so you talk to a regular person about Joseph, and it's about integrity. It's about how to overcome sin. It's that you need to leave your coat right then if she grabs you, and you need to just flee and run, and you can do it, right? Just follow the example of Joseph. And yet, if you read the narrative, the statement that is repeated is, and they noticed that the Lord was with him. So actually, (laughs) Joseph does have integrity, but it's not his integrity that saves him. It's the presence of God that gives him the ability to. And so that's where we make a mistake. And so I think we can set people up for failure because we're asking them to do things, build arcs, call down fire from heaven, slay a giant. And they're really probably not, they don't even have the faith at this point to do it. Like we're trying to measure up ourselves against Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Larry Bird, and and then we're you know we're looking at these guys and we're trying to act like them in real time, and it just looks it looks pathetic. 
And then we just become demoralized. Um, and so I think that's part of the problem. And I think a lot of our people know they don't measure up. And so they kind of live in this spiritual dissonance. And I think that that is not necessarily helpful. And then, you know, the primary problem is, is that we've kind of removed God from the equation. And so we're creating our own little Avengers, Avengers Star Wars series, where you'll be Luke Skywalker and I'll be Han Solo and Ryan, you can be Princess Leia. And we can just try to figure out like how, do, how we can come together and do something still. And that's not the story of Scripture. And so I think that's a, I think that's a well-intended consequence of there not being a more formal uh, declaration and explanation of how the Bible fits together. Ryan, um, for those who are listening that don't feel like they have a solid grasp on the story of the Bible, they don't think they could walk somebody through the story of the Bible, you know, just at a coffee shop or in the elevator, uh, or maybe with their kids at night. What, what are some practices they could participate in yeah, or some resources they could pursue that would help them grasp the story of the Bible, the story of God? Yeah, I mean, we'll, we will sound like a broken record when we, when we talk about this sort of thing over the, the rest of the fall semester, but um, they're not perfect, but the Bible Project is a phenomenal resource. If you've never listened to their podcasts or watched their videos, it's... It's two guys. Um, I think they're are they in Washington, Oregon, Oregon I think West Coast somewhere. But they're very very gifted at uh, as communicators as artists, and they've probably fifteen years ago now started just illustrating the Bible. In they would cover a book in twelve minutes, or they'll do the entire Old Testament in fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. and they have they have all these. Things. So you can look at um, thebibleproject.com. Um, and, and go check out their videos. Um, oftentimes when I'm sitting down to study a book, I'll print, you can print out their posters that they've drawn for free and I'll keep that tucked in my Bible and it's very, very helpful. Um, so that's a good way to kind of begin getting a sense of the whole story. Um, we need to order more copies, but if you happen to have one of the catechisms that we wrote a number of years ago, the little orange book, it's called Christian Belief. That's what it says on the front. If you have one, great. If you don't, we'll order more and make them available. But in the back of that book, we wrote a one-paragraph summary of every single book of the Bible um, with the intent that parents could begin to study the Bible with their children, and parents could probably begin to get a sense of what books that might be more obscure like Nahum and Zechariah, what they're about. Um, And I think that'd be a really good place to start. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I think those would be two places I would start. Jim, any others that you'd add that have been helpful over the years? Um, the narrated Bible is something, and then you can pick up a, kind of a version of that if you're on um, version. Okay. So they have, a, they have a really good one. I think they just call it under your Bible reading plans. I've used this for a while. Um, they, they, they call it the Chronological Bible. And I think it follows that format. But there is a book that came out a long time ago, uh, it's called the narrated Bible. It's uh, it's the narrated by a gentleman by the name of Eflagard Smith, who comes along and adds uh, not commentary uh, all the way through, but kind of at certain critical moments he'll offer a brief explanation at the beginning. But it what it what it does is it tries to help people see um, the flow of Scripture. So all the 
Paul of Letters find themselves rightly placed to the best of our ability to understand within the book of Acts. The prophets find themselves rightly placed in the uh, First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles narrative. He takes all four Gospels and combines them together and makes one gospel and then has references where you can see where he chooses uh, to to focus on one. And, and, and so I, I just, that was the Bible I read through chronologically to kind of get a sense of everything. And I really, really, really enjoyed that. So that would be the one thing I would add. If you want like a popular level book recommendation, um, the beginning of this book is actually a critique of um, of how we talk about the process of salvation, but the back half of the book is a phenomenal summary of scripture. And it's a book called the King Jesus gospel by Scott McKnight. Um, again, I, I would buy it more for the end of the book than the beginning. The beginning is very interesting, but as it relates to what we're talking about today, he has a gospel summary where he begins in Genesis and ends in, at the mm-hmm. tree in the, in, in revelation. And, he just writes it out and I've read it to classes before. It takes me 16 minutes to read it out loud. And he just goes through the, uh, the whole story. And it's like, I start, I, it takes me 16 minutes kind of starting to choke up halfway through because it's just such a beautiful story and worth the price, worth the 12, 15 bucks that the book would cost. We didn't mention Andrew Wilson's yet. Did we? No. Yeah. Are we so sure that's another one. Andrew Wilson's God stories. Yeah, I think it's only it's $90 on Amazon, right? Is now. that what it yeah, is? I don't know why that thing wow. is hard to find. Okay. So God Stories on Amazon. Actually, um, just recently, we... A bunch of us have it on staff. We, If you don't want to pay $90 yeah. for it, that, that is strange. Okay. Yeah. Uh, recently, we decided to pool some resources to help people with this. And so on sunnybrickcc.org, we have a media section. And under that media section, you'll see resources. And we have a bunch of books and articles listed, podcasts, uh, videos, all trying to help people understand the story of God. We've got some things for kids on there and for adults, um, entry level to deeper level. Um, We're also recording Jim doing a Bible timeline of the Old Testament, as well as a How We Got the Bible, which are just some incredible resources to, to grasp when you open up a random prophet where that fits in the story. And and the more you get to know these names and these places and how they fit into the historical uh, the historical setting and then the, the meta-narrative of the Scripture, the, the more uh, you're going to understand it, the more you're going to feel confident about it, teach it um, to those around you. So, Well, I, it's, what happens is, is that there's a, there's a, you know, we exaggerate. There's a million stories. And so I don't know what to do with a million stories. But if you say there's one story... And then you help them understand, like, and I like your distinctions. I don't think I disagree with you. And you first mentioned the names. I wanted to add Noah. And then I thought, no, I I think you're right. I think I like the idea of it's Adam and Abraham and Moses and David and Jesus. That's really, really good. And then if you wanted to have, like, a representative of the rest, you can pick either Peter. I might pick Paul and say that that really does cover the whole scope of things. And then so then how do all of these things fit together? And then once that happens and you have a basic framework, then when you read a story, you understand how it fits into the yeah. redemptive work of God. And do you don't get trapped into just trying to be 
Isaiah the prophet, but you understand how God used Isaiah to bring about the redemption, and you enjoy the story more, I think. So yeah. that's the beauty of, of having um, a kind of texture to your Bible. Do you understand the Gospels are more important than? Do you understand that mm-hmm. even these Psalms are far more specific and representative of the story? Yeah. So once you have an ability to discern within Scripture yeah. what's more important, I think then all of it becomes collectively yeah. more valuable. Well, but you think about how important Isaiah is. You know, we trot him out every Christmas because he's yeah. the Christmas prophet. Yeah. Um, but really, Isaiah is a is a subset of a failure of Israel's kings, David, and of a failure of Israel's people to follow God in faithfulness, Moses, Moses. and then the withdrawal of the blessings that God has given them that he promised through Abraham. So yeah. it all nestles yes. under those three categories. With the future promise. All of Jesus, it. yes, and then the future establishment of the kingdom through the apostles. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great that's a great picture. That's good. Um, in closing, in anything you want to uh, let our listeners know about why we think this is so important, or ways they can help prepare themselves as they either come to our church on Sunday morning, hear these lessons on the story, or maybe follow up audibly with these sermons, or even just in their own study. I would, I would just draw you to, on our Wednesday email that goes out, our newsletter, take a look at that going deeper section mm-hmm. um, and try to, to consider spending a few moments before you come in on Sunday just aware of what's going on. Um, and then to take a look at, I've tried to memorize exactly the order that we're doing this series in. Um, and I think that might be really, really helpful for you to be yeah. able to just realize the, this is how the story unfolds. So come up with something and work through developing something so that you can ha- at least have a framework to, to work from. Yeah, and in the in that write-up from the Wednesday email, we'll tell you the section, the, the primary section from which we'll be preaching that following Sunday. So this week, Drew Moss, I assume if it goes out this week, Drew Moss is preaching from Genesis 1 and 2. Given the time constraints of the service, we're not going to read every word of Genesis 1 and 2. Yep. But you can do that, getting yeah. ready. In the following week, Genesis 3 through 9, you can read that. And it will just help you come in with a, a firmer foundation that then you can hear the Lord speak through the smaller sections of text we need to use to actually try to communicate this stuff. Yep. It's really good. It is our prayer, it is our hope that we would encourage the disciples of Jesus, specifically here at Sunnybrook, um, but uh, tangentially all the rest of you listening from across wherever you are, uh, that you would grow in biblical literacy. And we believe that as we grow in biblical literacy, we'll grow in our understanding of God. And when you grow in your yep. understanding of God, you will grow in your adoration, your awe, your worship of God. And that that's the hope of the series, that we're not just trying to help you understand facts about different people or places or timelines. We want you to know and be intim- intimately connected with the Lord who made you. And that's our hope. That's our prayer. Um, if you have any questions, thoughts as the series goes on, we would love to hear from you. Email Steve, who is so awesome, and we will hopefully see you soon.